Hey, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast where our heart is to give what I call blue jeans theology. That is theology that's dressed up in everyday life, that's connected to everyday life. So welcome, super glad you're here and tuning into this episode. And in addition to the podcast, I have some other resources on my website. Specifically, I have a free Bible reading plan that is aimed at helping you follow Jesus or at helping you help someone else follow Jesus. I put this reading plan together really a handful of years ago as sort of a discipleship tool. And so I've got some information about that on my website. It's totally free. You can just give me your name and email address and I will send it to you. So that's over there on my website. I'll put the link to that down below and you can check that out if you are looking for a Bible reading plan to use for yourself or to use in partnership with somebody else so that the two of you can grow in your discipleship together. All right, in this uh, episode, we're continuing our series on big Bible words, where what we're going to do is just really take some of the more familiar Bible words or important Bible words and say, do we really know what they mean? Have we really felt the significance or the weight of those words? And in the first episode in this series, which was last week's episode, we talked about the word gospel. And in this episode, we want to talk about the word grace, an incredibly familiar word to Christians. We hear it in the church. We sing about it in the church. We talk about it in church. Um, Some of our more well-known Bible passages use the word grace. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Or Romans chapter 3, that we have been justified as a gift by his grace. And so this is one of those big Bible words. It really is a word that's at the heart of everything we believe. And personally, I read verses like these ones, like Ephesians 2.8 or Romans chapter 3. I read verses like these ones for the first handful of years of my Christian life, and I knew that I was saved by grace. I understood that. I had been taught that. I could affirm it. I could assert that. I could tell people that, but I don't think I really got it. And the reason I don't think I really got it is I was marked by highs and lows depending on how I felt like I was doing. If I felt like I was doing good and I hadn't screwed up much, oh, then I felt really good about my spiritual life. And man, if I felt like I had screwed up more or I wasn't doing good or I wasn't doing my devotions consistently enough, man, I felt bad about my Christian life. I was also marked by striving and trying and trying to be good enough and trying to work hard enough and trying to be Christian enough. And I was marked by comparison where I would look at other people. If I was better than them, I felt good about my spiritual life. And I looked at other people who were better than me and I didn't feel so good about my spiritual life. And so even though I could affirm that I was saved by grace, I don't think I truly got it and I truly understood it. And here's the thing. When we truly understand what it means to be saved by grace, it changes everything. It changes our whole approach to a life, our whole relationship with ourself, our relationship with others, and certainly it changes our relationship with God. It eliminates comparison and striving and those highs and lows marked by our performance. When we truly understand what it means to be saved by grace, it changes everything in our life. And so, in this episode, we want to answer the question, what is grace? What does it mean to be saved by grace? What is grace? What does the word grace mean? 
And I want to approach that maybe a little differently than sometimes we do. I want to approach it by beginning with a verse out of the Gospel of John, a familiar verse, but I want to make sure we hear the second half of it, not just the first half of it. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word, and in context, the Word refers to Jesus. So the Word was with God, right? And then... Um, Verse 14, we get this part where the Word became flesh. So we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus, um, God, the second person of the Trinity, becoming flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And here's the phrase I want us to catch. Um, full of grace and truth. In fact, it goes on in verse 16 to say, Of his fullness we have all received, even grace upon grace. Do you catch that? Grace upon grace, like piles and piles of grace. Heaps and heaps of grace. Just like keep heaping the grace on. Of his fullness we have all received, even grace upon grace. And so here is the Apostle John. And I witness to Jesus, right, who was there, who saw him, who talked with him, who heard his voice, who knew what the tone of his voice sounded like when he spoke, who saw his eyes and knew what his eyes looked like when they looked at him and when they looked at other people. Like, this is an eyewitness. And he says, here was our experience. We experienced someone who was full of grace and truth. We experience grace upon grace from this one. And so when we look at Jesus, we see grace in the flesh. We see grace in action. And I would encourage you to read the Gospels that way, to go back and read Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. And as you read, just begin to, to picture grace upon grace, grace and truth, and see that being played out in the life of Jesus. For example, one of my all-time favorite stories in the Gospels, Luke chapter 7, and the sin sinner woman in Luke chapter 7, who Jesus is in some town, we're not told which town, he's been invited over to Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner, and he goes to dinner at the Pharisee, and this woman, who it says is a notorious sinner in town, we don't know exactly what that means, but our best guess is she probably was a prostitute, but not totally sure, and she had had some encounter with Jesus earlier in his time in this town, some sort of, maybe she heard him teach, maybe there was a personal interaction, maybe she, in hearing him teach, she saw the look in his eyes, but she had some sort of experience at Jesus where she knew she would be treated differently by him and she would be welcomed by him, so Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner, and this woman breaks ranks and walks into the middle of the room. And she comes in with tears rolling down her cheeks, and she kneels at Jesus' feet, who are out behind him because he's reclined at table. And as she cries, she's making kind of a, a mess of his feet, and so she gets out her this perfume, this expensive perfume, and she begins to pour it on his feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair, and Jesus welcomes her. In fact, the Pharisee, in his self-righteousness, wants to condemn this woman and criticize Jesus, and Jesus defends the woman and criticizes Simon the Pharisee. That, my friends, is grace upon grace. Or we see it in Jesus with one of his disciples, Matthew, also known as Levi, who was a tax collector and 
Jesus um, has had some, again, encounter with him, and now he sees uh, Levi, Matthew, at his tax collector booth, where he would, he would basically, as an employee for the Romans, he would tax his own people, and from the Jewish perspective, he was a a traitor and you know treasonous man. Not only that, he he had uh, the way he made money was by kind of kind of raising taxes and whatever he had to pay the Romans, whatever was left over, that's what he got. And so uh, he was greedy, treasonous, traitor. And Jesus calls him to be a disciple and says, "Come, follow me." And Matthew does, and he welcomes this treasonous traitor who was looked down on by everyone else in society, he welcomes them into his inner circle. Grace upon grace. Or while we're talking about tax collectors, think of Zacchaeus, right, who climbs up in a tree because he wants to see Jesus. He's on, He's wealthy, he's rich, but he is a chief tax collector, which means he's over a whole company of tax collectors. And Jesus comes to him, calls him down from the tree, and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. I mean, in their culture, this is uh, like unheard of because to eat with somebody meant you viewed them as a social equal, like ate with like. And Jesus invites himself over as a way to really welcome Zacchaeus to himself and welcome him back into the family of faith and basically welcome him back into the community of God's people. And so now, um, that story ends with it saying salvation has come to his house also, grace upon grace. You see this in Jesus' picture of God as a father who runs to his uh, wayward son to welcome him home, home in Luke 15 in the well-known story of the prodigal son. You even, you even see grace upon grace in something as simple and mundane as what happens after the resurrection when the disciples are out fishing and Jesus is on the beach, he started a campfire and he's cooking some breakfast for them. He's cooking some food. They've fished all night. He's cooking breakfast. And they're out there fishing and, and Jesus is on the beach and he calls to them and all of a sudden they recognize it's him and they jump into the water and they, they come to Jesus and they enjoy breakfast on the beach after the resurrection and there's a sense in which here are his disciples who still are struggling to totally get what's happened, and they're out there fishing, and Jesus simply, in a very down-to-earth way, sits with them and welcome, welcomes them back to himself, reveals himself to them with breakfast on the beach post-resurrection, grace upon grace. And so John has described, this is what we saw, this is what we experienced in Jesus, someone who is full of grace, so full that we experienced piles and piles of grace. And that's what we need to make sure we hear and see in the word grace as we see Jesus full of grace. And the basic definition of the word grace is undeserved kindness. That grace is as someone described it, it's love that stoops, meaning that it's love that stoops down to help somebody who can't help themselves, or it's love that stoops down to give to somebody who doesn't, uh, isn't able to take care of themselves, can't provide this for themselves, or doesn't even deserve what they're about to get, but this love stoops down to help. Um, it's gift love. That's what grace is. It's gift love, where you just give something to somebody without any expectation in return, with uh, with 
without really any claim on this gift, right? Like it's love that gives you what you don't have any claim on or have zero entitlement to. It's it's love that's not deserved. and In fact, sometimes the opposite is deserved and yet you give it anyhow. It's Jesus hanging on the cross, saying about those who have nailed him there, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's grace. That's gift love. These people don't deserve it. They have just unjustly, illegally condemned a righteous man uh, to death, and not just any death, the most horrendous death possible. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Grace upon grace. So grace is gift love. It's undeserved kindness. And I think it's really important as we we kind of process and think through what grace really is, is that we make sure we, we don't see it as just niceness, right? Like grace isn't the same thing as just being nice. Niceness doesn't want to step on anyone's toes. Niceness doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Niceness just doesn't want to upset anyone or upset the apple cart, right? Like niceness pretends like it's all good when it's really not. That's not grace. Grace is stronger than that. Grace doesn't pretend that it's no big deal. Grace doesn't just sweep things under the carpet. Grace is love that has a backbone, and grace can fully acknowledge that wrong's been done. Grace can even name what the wrong is. Grace can call a spade a spade, and yet be kind and generous Anyhow, and grace can give you what you don't deserve. And so grace is love with a backbone. It's not just niceness. Um, Grace actually calls out wrongdoing, names wrongdoing, but does so kindly. And then then is generous and kind-hearted beyond that. I also think it's really important as we process what grace is, and that's why I wanted to start with the person of Jesus, is that we emphasize that grace is always personal. That is, it's the action of one person towards another person. I think it's really important that we don't make grace mechanical. I think that's one deficiency sometimes in the way grace is presented or the way grace is understood is we almost make it mechanical. And we do that, not intentionally, but we do that by referring to it as the doctrine of grace. And it's not like that phrase is bad or wrong. It's not wrong to call it that. It's just implicitly that makes it feel mechanical to us. Oh, there's this mechanical process, this mechanical doctrine that's called grace. And if we go through the right process and we go through the right steps, then boom, out comes grace and we get grace. No, that's not the way grace works. It's not mechanical. It's not like a a giant vending machine in the sky where, you know, we put in the, the proper thing and we push the right button and bam, we get grace out of it. No, grace is personal. That is It's the action of one person towards another. It's what a person does. In fact, uh, Exodus 34, 6, you should know this verse. You should memorize this verse. Exodus 34, 6 is where God introduces himself to Moses, where God really describes who he is. And this is what God says about himself, where Moses is up on the, the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he wants God to appear to him. And so God God puts Moses in the, you know, kind of says, get back here in these rocks and kind of hide yourself back in here. And I'm going to pass by. And then I'll let you see me as, you know, as I, as I go by you, right? And so God does that. And as he does, God says these words. He says, Yahweh, 
Yahweh, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's God's own self-description. And in fact, that, that verse in Exodus 34, 6 is the most quoted passage of the Bible by the Bible. In other words, uh, that verse shows up um, in the Psalms. It shows up in Jonah. It shows up in the prophets. It shows up all over the Old Testament as these the Jewish people, the, the Old Testament writers, this is who God is. And so they, they echo those words. They reflect those words. They quote those words in God's own self-description because this is who God is and this is how God wants to be known. He is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And if you and I don't know God like that, then we don't know God at all. This is who God is, and that's his, that's his own self-description. There is a great little book called God Has a Name. God Has a Name by John Mark Comer, who's a pastor at a church in Portland, Oregon. That book would be worth your time to read. It's really an in-depth study of Exodus 34, 6, and 7. So I will link that down in the notes below because I think it's so worth you, you reading and taking a look at. He has some really great insights on this one phrase. Uh, merciful and compassionate, as well as the whole passage. So God has a name by John Mark, Mark Comer. I will link it down below. But what I want you to hear is this, is, this is personal. This is who God is, and this is what God is like. God is merciful and compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And hence, when God becomes flesh and dwells among us, What's the experience of those who know him and meet him and see him and talk with him and walk with him for three years? It's grace and truth. It's the fullness of grace and truth. It's grace upon grace that Jesus is God with skin on. And it's mercy and graciousness on full display before the disciples. And that's why John describes them that way, because that's who God is. So when you read Exodus, or when you read, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 8, that it's by grace we have been saved, right? Or you read Romans chapter 3, that we've been justified as a gift by his grace, or any of the other great texts about being saved by grace, just remember, it's not a process. It's a person. It's a gracious person. It's a person who's full of mercy and grace, choosing to forgive you and set you free. And like I said, when I first started following Jesus, I knew this, I heard this, I read these verses, I had underlined these verses, but I didn't fully get it until shortly after my wife and I got married, we were house-sitting at one of our professors in college's house. And as we kind of got settled in the house, he had a bookshelf. I was a college student. I was interested in books. So I started skimming his bookshelf. And there was this little tiny book that caught my eye. The title on it said, Being Good Enough Isn't Good Enough. Well, I had for the last four or five years of following Jesus, even though I knew I was saved by grace, I had been trying to be good enough. I had been trying to be a good enough Christian and, and work hard enough and prove that I was worthy enough. And that title just, boom, resonated with me. Being good enough isn't good enough. And so I pulled this little tiny book off the shelf and I started to read. 
And as I read, it just spoke life to my heart and life to my soul. So I kept reading and kept reading. And like I said, it wasn't a huge book, small book. I read the whole book in one night. And I was forever changed simply by the truth being laid bare for me about what it means to be saved by grace. And that completely changed my relationship with God and my relationship with myself. And over the years, it's changed my relationship with other people as I've been able to be uh, more gracious and extend grace to them as well. Um, and so, my friends, I, I want you so much to have that same experience. I want you to know what it means to be in relationship with a God who is full of mercy and grace so that your relationship with him isn't marked by striving and proving and trying and earning or anything else. It is a relationship where you stand in grace, a relationship where the whole climate and culture and environment is grace. And you are welcomed as a son or a daughter of God because God is a gracious person who is eager to welcome you to himself. That's what grace is all about. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible in Life. Thank you for being a part of the Bible in Life family. Uh, if you are one of those who supports this ministry and this podcast through my Patreon page or through the donate button on my website, blessings to you. Thank you for making this show possible. You cannot quantify the difference you're making in so many people's lives who listen to this podcast all around the world. So thank you for your generous support and thank you for making this possible. If you are not one of those but you would like to, to help out that way, I will have the links down below to my Patreon page or to the donate button on my my website. God bless you guys. Thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family, and we will talk again soon. Take care.